0: The scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians eleven two through 16 and the word of God speaks to us. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her, her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but women is the glory of man." For man was not made for woman, but woman for man. Neither was man created for a woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought, not, ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, women is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as a woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God for her, with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? For if a woman has long hair, is it her glory? For her hair is given for her, for her, for her covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. This is God's word to us.
1: Well, good morning. My name is Chad Puckett. I'm one of the pastors here, and I didn't really believe you when you said, Thanks be to God for that passage. <laughs> I didn't sense the conviction that we normally get with that. This is obviously a challenging text, there's no way around that. This is one that provo- provokes big questions, big feelings. Some of, some of you are leaning in, most of you are like cringing a little bit, if you're uh, alive right now, you're cringing to some extent, uh, and, and there are others that are like, how can I get out of here as quickly as possible in this? Uh, I, I just want you to know that this passage isn't coming to us lightly, we're not, we're not, we weren't just sitting around saying, hey, guess what, let's talk about this this week, this this week. We wanted to to just continue our walk through 1 Corinthians, and that's where we've been. We've been in it for months, and that's where we are today. And I just want you to know that this passage in particular uh, is more relevant than we give credit. There's more going on here. And in a world at war around gender issues, our culture is being led to believe that gender is simultaneously nothing and everything. It's also one of those things in which just having a conversation around uh, topics regarding gender is like fraught with what seems like minefields. It feels like you're running through this spot in which there's not a word that I can say that is going to uh, keep everybody okay in this. And guess what? This text has a section in it in which it's almost every single word is a stumbling block. I'll get back to that in a second. But friends, God's word brings good news to us today. It brings good news to us through this passage and not around it because the minefield is not the passage itself. The minefield is all the baggage we bring to it, all the, the ways in which we bristle and bring, bring our own frayed nerves to a text like this. And, and I want to just be upfront, like we all of us, all of us will bring in some of those things to it. The, the idea is for us to be able to say, God, what does your word have for us? What does your word have for us? Chapter 11 is a hinge in the book or in the letter to this church in Corinth. The first few chapters, and particularly the last four or five before this, are, are dealing with individuals and the issues that they're carrying. There were things happening in the church, and Paul is addressing those. But as we've seen, as we've seen, those uh, are, are not really, there's more going on than just the issue at hand. The last chapter is like, can I eat meat sacrificed to idols? And that becomes important for us to understand this. But like, think of it before 11 as being very individualistic. There are things happening in the church that Paul is speaking to. And yet here in 11 through 14, it is more of a, a, a pastor speaking to what it looks like to gather as the church together. How should things go down when we're, when we're together for worship? And, and here's the deal. We tend to think of the Bible as kind of falling neatly into two categories. Either the timeless portions that will be for people at all times, in all places, and, and those are like love one another. love. We should love one another, right? Love one another and pray for one another, confess our sins to one another, even though we don't necessarily like that part of it. That sounds timeless to me. And then there's the second part that we feel, which is, well, some of this is cultural, and this is the cultural pieces, and, and there are those. We, we often approach so much of the Old Testament as, that was just cultural, it doesn't have anything to do with me, and so I don't need any part of that. And we just kind of uh, split those into two halves. But I, I want you to hear something, I need you to hear something today, is that the Bible is always both timeless and cultural. It's timeless, and it speaks to people from the the moment it was written until the end of history. It is speaking to all people in all places at all times for our good and for God's glory. And it's always cultural. It was always written to a particular people at a particular place, in a particular moment, in a particular language, going through particular things. It is always culture, and we need to recognize that in every aspect of it, every bit of it. So let me give you a principle as we think about these pieces, as we, as we come to difficult text anywhere. But this is true across the board, but it is a handle for us today. Here's a principle. The text... Can never mean now what it never meant then. It can never mean now what it never meant then. If you're gonna get a tattoo today, that might be one to put on your arm or something, wherever you're thinking about that. Like, it, the text can never mean now what it never meant then. Friends, if this is your first time with us, if, if you stumbled in the door today, your lucky day, you might have thought, we always talk, churches always talk about money. Well, not today, friends. Not today. If you're here visiting with us, from, with family here for any of it, we're thankful for you in all of it. We are a Bible-honoring church. We're a Bible-honoring church, which means we are going to preach through books of the Bible. There are moments in which we step aside for different things. We'll take topics at different times, but our regular rhythm and practice is that we're going to walk through books of the Bible and we're not going to avoid difficult minefields. We're not going around them. The Bible is God's authoritative word spoken over his people and it is it is there every bit of it for our Good, And so the challenge in that, the challenge is, is, like, how do we walk this out? What does this text mean for us now, even where our society and our culture is different? We've got to find, we've, we've got to find out how to faithfully obey whatever we discover to be God's revealed will in the text. Though it's challenging, and there are challenges here. But these challenges are are there, leading to faith in a much bigger God, a much bigger design for how we're to go through it. It's a bigger God than we than we tend to acknowledge. So there are challenges here, but friends, there's also relief here. So let me let me just kind of like relieve the pressure. Let me l- relieve the pressure. Like, there's, there's not a, a commemorative set of uh, different bonnets for all our ladies as you walk out today. There's none of that. We don't have it lined up for you to have my haircut walking out of this. Men, there's none of those things. Like, the, w- but we do need to do the work of saying, Paul's speaking to a particular culture. How does that apply in our culture? Because we're not walking away from it. We're not ignoring it. We're not just saying, hey, there are parts of this that we, we don't, don't really apply to us. No, all of it applies to us. But the, the idea is, how does it apply in our moment and our culture? That's the work that we have to do. There's also a feast here for us, a feast that, man, that is in and through the text for us to understand and see this God is glorious, and he's doing far more than we even recognize and so uh, there are going to be three turns today and I'll try to lay this out and I'll try to help you when we make these turns but I'll I'll start with this there are areas in which uh, there tends to be agreement in this text and maybe you're sitting there like no there is not Chad there are areas in which there is agreement in the text There are also areas, this will be the longest portion of this time, but like there are areas in which there are massive stumbling blocks. And you're like, yes, no kidding, Chad. There are big stumbling blocks here. And so I'm going to ask you to just like hold on tight, keep coming with me, stay with me until the end. Because the third turn for us in this is that there are some unavoidable, unavoidable application points for us in which we live out this this passage in really meaningful ways. And so I want to pray for you, and I desperately need you to pray for me. And let's ask God to to work on us today through his word. Father, we come to you by faith in Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Your word is perfect to train us in righteousness, correct us, in our error, equip us for every good work that you have for us. Help, help this passage to make sense to us and for its application to be helpful. God, help us to resist the urge to sit in judgment over you and your word. Holy Spirit, word, keep, keep me from doing anything, anything contrary to your word We want to follow your direction. We want to follow your guidance. Lord Jesus, meet us this morning in and through your text. Help us to see your good news through these words and how you are so much bigger and more loving than our brains even imagine. We pray these things for your glory and our good. Amen. Okay. So let's dive into an area of agreement, an area that that is as straightforward or kind of straightforward as we get. uh, Buckle up because we've got some work to do. I'll pick it up in verse 2 where he starts with an interesting spot. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you, pause right there. We're going to pause. Uh, I commend you. Paul has, uh, has written this letter essentially uh, correcting their behavior. Almost every line of it is corrective in nature. Though he is encouraging, he, right here he's like, I commend you. And you're like, wait a second. Everything after this is a bit, uh, it, it's like, wait, not, this is not it. In fact, the very next words are, but let me tell you this let me tell you this this is like a parent or a teacher but i think a parent is more helpful because teachers didn't really love me so much so i think parent is more helpful in, in that a parent is like i know you're trying i know you're trying but it's not working and you're missing the point I know you're trying. That's what Paul is doing right here. I commend you, church. I commend you, little church, for what you're doing and where you're at in this. But it's not working. And he goes on in in verse 3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. You might be thinking, "This is the part that we agree on. <laughs> this is the spot." <laughs> There's stuff here that is really for us, and for for us to understand it, we need to uh, kind of anchor in three things. Anchor in three things. This is this is good for us. Anytime we open God's Word, it's helpful for us because we need to know what the text actually says, what it says. Who is speaking to? What is the context of the text? That's the broader context of 1 Corinthians and Corinth in general. And then historically, what do we know about how this played out? What do we know historically? Those three things are really important. And so the first point of agreement from this passage, from these words that we just read, the first point of agreement is that men and women are participants in the worship gathering. Men and women are participants in the worship gathering. Verse 4 says, every man who prays or prophesies. Verse 5 says, every wife who prays or prophesies. Don't miss what is critically important about this passage because of all the landmines that you feel in your heart right now. Don't miss what's going on then and now. Women are said to be praying and prophesying in the public gathering of the church. He's not telling anyone, men or women, to participate in public prayer or prophecy less. He's actually encouraging it all the more. Paul is is highlighting the fact that when the church gathers for worship, there will be prayer and prophecy from both men and women. And yet here is such a shameful reality so far too often, the Scriptures broadly, but maybe this passage particularly, has been interpreted in a way preventing women from exercising many, if not most, of the gifts that they have. The gifts given to them by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that's actually given them to them. And many women have been crushed by being told that their gifts are not real, not useful, not helpful, or not welcome in the church. And yet our text right here quite clearly says every woman who does this, every man who does this, in it there is a part to play. Now, there are parameters that the Bible gives us. There are parameters in how gifts are given to men and women in the church. But there is way more freedom than we might imagine way more freedom. And so we'll talk more about prayer and prophecy in chapters 12 and 14, but it's enough to say here that women had a significant place of ministry and participation in the public gathering of the church. That is clear in Scripture. And where we find ourselves pulling back from that means we're out of step with the Word of God in the historical record of the church. We're out of step. The second point of agreement is around, wait for it, hair. I think we can all agree that the text talks about hair. As a bald man, I feel overlooked in this. But the text speaks of hair. Again, this is challenging, but uh, the context, the, the text itself, the historians all agree that, that there's something important here for us around hair. And we need to catch it because if we just chalk it up to hair length or fashion or things of the moment, then we miss really the beautiful thing that's happening. And so we'll go through some of the difficult points of this but to, to highlight what's going on in the larger discussion around hair. In verse 6, Says it's disgraceful for a woman to cut off her hair, or shave her head. And in Corinth, a, a shaved head was, a shaved head on a woman was almost certainly punishment. It wasn't a fashion. It wasn't a fashion or some statement making, uh, like making sense of some rebellion that's happening. Uh, instead, it was a mark of crossing lines, societally. It was significant. It was making a statement in, a, in the worst of ways. It was a scarlet letter uh, in, on our heads. In, in regard to where the verse speaks to short hair or shaved context, like context is helpful, and the, the historical record is helpful as well. Historian Bill Winters shed some light on this for us. Unlike the men whose hair was shaved, a woman whose hair was cropped or shaved had been publicly humiliated as an adulteress. Like, so we've got to catch this. Like, don't get hung up on what. how short are we talking about hair in this. Like, catch that hair is a significant part of this discussion, and it is something that we need to, like, get our minds around. What's happening in this moment it is a mark of shame in this culture. And so... We've got, we've got some real questions that are going off right now. Like, like wait, are we saying something about how this happens? We've got to ask ourselves something. Like, what is Paul speaking to? Is he putting a mandate on in which at the end of this, the unavoidable application is like, hair length, how many inches are, are this or that? No, like, but how does this factor into today and where we live? Because the context of of 1 Corinthians is one where we're having these repeated conversations of all these people have been moving out from going to pagan temples and, and making sacrifices at all these temples. Just the chapters before were like, can we eat the meat sacrificed in these temples? Is it okay for us to do this? And Paul's like, no, there's much bigger things going on. It's not about the meat. And Paul's making a really important statement right here as he's talking about. Not individuals sharing eating a meal, but he's talking about the church gathered. And surrounded by temples worshiping other gods, Paul's making a big statement in which the church is not to confuse those around him. The church is not to worship like those temples. The church is to be set apart for different reasons. Don't add to confusion uh, around hair or activities or any of these types of things. The church is supposed to be different. Now, let me give you a picture of this. Let me give you a, a picture. My family lived overseas for a while. We lived in a, in, in a Muslim context. So everything around it, it was 100% Muslim in this area, and, and uh, it was wonderful. But every corner had mosques. Every corner was a mosque. And, and so many of the people in our, in our city, in our area, so many of those people were covered. And it was a cultural norm for the women to be covered. You wouldn't see their hair. And some of them, it was different things. But you, they were covered women for a reason. That's what happened in the mosques. And that was what's going on. Well, we, we were living over there. We had a group of people with us and stuff. And one of the ladies who was with us Had to run across the street for something real quick one day. And she ran out early in the morning and her hair was wet. Her hair was wet. It wasn't long after that, it was about five minutes later. I get a phone call uh, to the house in my horrible language skills that I had in this. I get a phone call and it's like, you've gotta get her back to the house. Now catch what's going on. I get a phone call from Rando across town who has heard about our girl leaving the house and is like, you've gotta get her back in. Why, something's going on. He's like, you don't understand. Wet hair in this culture is more than anything. Wet hair is a sign that she's a prostitute. The pastor of the church is calling me saying, you're sending messages that you don't even understand. You're sending messages that you don't even understand. And you've got to get her back in this house right now. It was such a wake-up call for us. And Paul is giving that same wake-up call to this church. And he's saying, listen, Hair length isn't the issue. We're talking about something much bigger. And he keeps putting this into context for him. He's like, don't add to confusion between what the people in the temple are worshiping and what the people, the followers of Jesus are worshiping. And that principle is true for us today as well. That's true for us. When verse 4 speaks to men, It seems kind of like head coverings. It seems like it's talking to head coverings. But you get down into 14 and it says, does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? You're like, what on earth? How do we apply that today? Again, don't get caught up in length of this and get caught up in what he's speaking to this moment. Because we know head coverings in our culture Hair length does not mean the same thing in our culture. Uh, a guy with longer hair, a guy with long hair, does not mean he's trying to be effeminate. or It doesn't mean he's making a statement even. A, a man wearing a, a baseball cap to church or a cowboy hat or a, no, a number of hats doesn't mean that he's trying to say something or worship idols. And the reverse is true. A, a lady with short hair, uh, even shaved heads in our, con- in our context, doesn't say the same things as it did in Corinth any more than wet hair in Oklahoma says the same thing as it did in Central Asia. So what is going on? Well, Paul's saying that that our lives, even our bodies, are not to cause confusion are not to cause confusion to the world around us. They're not to lead people to think, "Wait, what is happening here? What is happening?" You know, and I'm I'm thankful. I'm thankful for so much uh, work that's been done around this. And one of the the things that we read was around uh, Dr. Amy Peeler. Dr. Amy Peeler uh, wrote an article. She also has other things. There's good in it, and there are things that we disagree in it. There's all sorts here, but her article, Beauty, Order, and Mystery, speaks to this verse and this passage. It says, "When when we gather for worship in which everyone participates, our bodies should image the glory of the God we are worshiping, the creative God of life. And so when the church gathers, what's the principle that we're, we're seeing in this? When the church gathers, how we present ourselves matters. How we present ourselves matters. Again, we're not talking fashion, so don't get wrapped up in should you wear this or that. Like, but it's like, are we communicating something? Yes, we are. We're living testimony to the God of creation who became incarnate. And there's to be no confusion as there is in the temple, as there is in our culture. Paul's saying that that even our bodies are speaking to a much bigger reality, especially in a context in which the spirit is active through prayer and prophecy. And so let me shift to my next turn. Let's get to the controversial stumbling blocks. We're, we're already in them, so we might as well address them. We're, we're already neck deep in them. And we're right here in verses 3 through 5. You can see, like, this word that comes up again in it is head. And head, in verse 3, trips so many people up. And, and the struggle, what gets people is, does head mean uh, authority? And does head mean, like, boss? Or does head mean source? Like like a river, and the the head of a river is a source. What what do we read, and how are we supposed to interpret head? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna speak how I, I I've read this and, and feel conviction around that the word does in fact mean authority. And that the witness of Scripture speaks to uh, Jesus being co-equal with God, co-eternal with God, and yet also the same God, the same Jesus who's like, I am the one under the authority of the Father. And yet Jesus is, is every bit God the Father. Every bit. Distinct, different from the Father in person and role. And track with what's going on here because we've got this word that's going to be a stumbling block for some. Head. Here is this. Uh, Ladies, hear this. But track with what Paul's speaking to. If Jesus is under the authority of the Father, Paul's saying, he's saying, just as the Father and the Son are distinct and different, they're not interchangeable, The father isn't going to one day decide he's the son. And the son isn't going to one day decide, I think I'm the father now. No, just as the father and the son are co-equal in dignity and worth and in value, just as the father and the son are not the same but distinct from one another, in the same way, men and women are not interchangeable. In the same way, our biological sex and and gender are are thoughtfully and wonderfully assigned. Men and women are co-equal in dignity and value and worth. They're both image bearers. And we're we're not the same, but distinct by design to complement one another. And those distinct differences are are not just for our good, which it is, but also, also as a sign and a symbol of God's great love. And again, we're trying to say, Paul, what are you getting at when you're talking about men and women and head and God and Jesus? What are you getting at? Jesus submitting to the Father's authority authority wasn't an insult in any way to his dignity no one sees jesus as less important or less god for having having submitted to the father in fact jesus is the name above all names No one sees Jesus as having less dignity. Distinction and equality uh, aren't contradicting. So the idea of headship isn't about a power trip, though it it has found its way into that at times. It's not about some sort of hierarchy, though we've seen it abused in those ways. The thing being highlighted here is our God-given, God-glorifying differences. This passage. This passage was written to a church in a in a gender-confused city to behold the greater glory of God's design and how that they how they were coming together. Paul's leading towards more unity, more appreciation, and more love towards one another, not less. And so to use a, a word that's difficult doesn't mean he's, he's demeaning anyone in this. Another stumbling point, another stumbling block for people here is, is head coverings. But like the rest of this letter, I, I hope we'll see that there's more going on than meets the eyes. When Paul is addressing the men, saying, you shouldn't cover your head, You shouldn't cover your head, partly because that was not the cultural custom of the day. They weren't rolling around in sombreros or cowboy hats. They didn't have uh, all sorts of fancy hats that, that, that men were wearing throughout the area. There were no cowboy hats. There were no baseball teams and none of those things that were happening in it. And so culturally, it was not normative for a man to wear a hat in town or specifically at worship. But here's the deal. In the temple, in the temple where they were sacrificing to idols, some of this was a status symbol, but but most of it was to go and sacrifice to the idol. The men would pull their robes up over their heads, and they would cover their heads to participate in whatever the sacrifice or whatever the behavior was to that idol, the men would go to the temples, and they would cover themselves. And so when Paul is speaking here to the church gathered where there would be prayer and prophecy, and he's saying, men, don't cover your head. He's being so specific to say, do not act the way the world acts. Don't, don't make this picture look exactly like the temples. It's different, and it's different for a reason. He's distinguishing Christian worship from sacrifice to idols specifically for them, it was Christian men in Corinth were not to adopt the cultures around idol worship. That would actually dishonor God in worship. Paul's making a break. But I think we all kind of feel the tension here, right? We feel the tension. The tension is not really around, hey, should guys wear hats in church or not, or any of these things. Like The tension is when it comes to ladies and what Paul's words here to ladies. Verse 5 says, Every wife, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dis- dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. Now, I wish, I wish so much that Paul had given us more clarity here. Like Paul, unabridged version, please. He doesn't. He doesn't answer all our questions here. He doesn't give it, but he he does give us enough to see where he's going. It's so important for us to see that this was written to the church. Not to every woman in every context. He's written to the church as it gathers for worship, as it's imaging the gospel picture of people coming together and portraying the body and bride of Christ to a watching world. There's a long history and tradition of head coverings. Historically, for Jewish women, for Roman women, culture lived today. The there is a long history of head coverings. It's a symbol of modesty, an expression of feminine dignity, and even a symbol of being married. Head coverings carried with it a loud pronouncement in the culture, not in the temples, in the broad world. And so Paul's picking that up. Long hair was seen as beautiful, even even glorious. And this is what he's getting to in verse 15, as Laura read. In verse 15, where it speaks of a woman's long hair as her glory. And so culturally in Corinth, a wife who refused to cover her head publicly disgraced her husband. It wasn't just disgracing her husband. It was that she was bringing shame on herself. She was identifying as a prostitute, like my friend with wet hair. Whether she meant to or not, whether she thought it or not, it was seen as sexually provocative, a sign of availability and invitation. It was common among the temple prostitutes to let their hair down, to go uncovered, because that was the inverse of what a modest woman would be. And so we're not talking about a burqa here. We're not talking about uh, locking someone up and uh, like you'd see in so many cultures, but probably something like a small wrap or a scarf. And again, I just wanna I just wanna put another pin in. Paul is highlighting the distinctions between men and women for the good of all, but. He's putting it in the context of this gospel picture that the gathered church is to embody. How we live, how we walk. When we become Christians, we don't become less of how God made us. We don't become less of how God made us in our genders. Uh, when we meet Jesus, when we, when, when we come to faith in all of that, we, we actually are to walk out all of it, even more. And yet we also step into a larger picture of this gospel narrative of the bride and the body. The the bride of Christ, the body of Christ is how we're to interact with one another. It's what we're to reflect to a watching world. Now, friends, you might not recognize that, but we're in a place in which there are people who walk by us that are not coming into our worship service. There are some that are going to lunch. They're they're going to the restrooms. They're walking past this at one of the restaurants or the coffee shop. And how we worship speaks something. Again, Ben Witherington from Conflict and Community in Corinth gives us this. It's helpful for us to understand what's happening in here. Gender distinction is not something human beings created. Paul sees it as a good gift of God, and he wishes it to be manifested and celebrated in Christian worship. He doesn't believe that there is some neutral core of personhood that has nothing to do with sexual identity, nor does he believe that sexual distinctions are or will will be obliterated in the order of redemption. In Paul's view, People are redeemed as men and women of God and are to continue to be men and women, not some neutered or neutral third sort of creature. Again, God, Paul is taking a church, confused about all sorts of things in their culture. and He's saying, God has made you. He's knit you together with distinctions and sexuality that matter. And he's showing them there's something bigger going on in all of it. And he hints at it. I wish that there were pages and pages on, but he hints at it. Followers of Jesus, then and now, are to live in a way that shows biblical manhood and womanhood as beautiful. Living faithfully and fruitfully as God designed. It's true. This is true in the everyday spaces and places of our lives, and particularly as we gather, as we pray, and as we prophesy, and the picture of the gospel message is with us in our worship. It's not just whoever stands here and opens God's words that's giving us the gospel message. It's how the church gathers. It's how we carry ourselves. If we don't have enough stumbling blocks uh, at this point, I, I'm going to sum this one up as just a big bag, multiple points to trip us up or to take us out. I want you to read with me, verse 7. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he's the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. That right there is enough to trip a number of us up. Like, what is, what is he talking about? How does he get that? Why, why would he say that about women? Does that mean that there's second class in this? No, it's just just as God made man from the dust and it was a glory to God, a testimony of God's goodness, so also, woman coming from man's side, he's going back to this creation narrative. Woman coming from man's side Is a blessing. It's a glory to man. A testimony of the goodness of God's original design in Adam. If that's still a stumbling block, and it might be, hold on, Paul's not done. That something so wonderful and beautiful as a woman could come from man, that is a glory to man. Paul is stepping into this. He's showing that these differences are based upon something more than culture. But the very nature of God and creation. His his reference to the creation order, he he speaks to this symbol of authority. Pick it up with me in verse 8. For man was not made for woman, but woman for man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for a man. This is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority On her head, because of the angels. Okay, let's see that. (laughs) I'm hoping because of angels is just crystal clear for all of you. And we can just move on. A symbol of authority. Again, here is Paul tipping his hand. This symbol, this is a picture of something much bigger. It's not find the haberdashery and get the right head covering. No, it's a symbol. We're, we're living symbols on how we carry ourselves, how we show ourselves, how we gather together, how we're to walk this out. There were people under authority. There were people uh, led and changed by this living God. And if that's not enough, it's like he it, it gives this comma because of the angels, And there's so much speculation right here. What is clear for us is that there's more going on around them than they even gave credit for. There's more going on. Catch this. There was more going on with how they were dressing, with how they were wearing their hair. There's more going on with that. They were taking on the form of idol worship in their community, whether they meant to or not. They were taking on and they were putting out a picture that was different than the gospel picture that we have. And then you have this. It's it's like there's people in your culture that are watching, and so often we don't even think about it. We don't recognize that there are people around us that are paying attention to how Christians live. And the more that we distort the picture, the more they say, I don't want any part of that. I don't even believe it. And Paul even pushes it one step forward, and he's like, it's not just that you might not see the gospel. It's not just that your neighbor might not see the gospel. It's that there are actually things happening in the spiritual world that you're not even even aware of, comma, because of the angels. There are things happening around us that are more than just flesh and blood, that are more than just our eyes can see, our eyes can understand. And I want you to see the beautiful way in which Paul speaks to the tension. As we end this, Paul Paul gets it. He throws in this connector, nevertheless, nevertheless. It's like Paul has it broken down like me. These are stumbling points. Nevertheless, verse 11, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man nor man of woman they're connected there's a connectedness here verse 12 for as woman was made from man so man is now born of woman and all things are from god Nevertheless, if this trips you up, nevertheless, if, if you think that there's somehow a hierarchy that's being set up, that, that somehow someone is lesser class citizen, he's like, no, catch this. It isn't just that ladies came from inside. That's not how it is anymore. Now, every man also comes from a woman. There's an interdependence here, and that is beautiful. But it's also, it isn't just biology that's happening. It's God. All are from God. All things are from God. Our differences aren't meant to divide us, but in God's design, we are interdependent. As man, as much as women are made from men, all men are now born of woman. Mutual blessings to one another, and so quickly, I want to walk through these unavoidable. Pieces of application for us. The first one is this. Our reading of scripture matters. If you have heard nothing else today, how we read scripture matters. We don't just get to say, oh, I don't understand that, moving on. We don't just get to say, I don't like that, moving on. How we read scripture matters. That's why we spent time at the beginning talking about context. The actual words of the text matter to us. The context surrounding it, the historical artifacts matter to us. All of those things matter. But I I'm thankful that Paul throws in these two verses, 13 and 16, because essentially he says, he says the same thing. How you read these things matters. Verse 13 says, judge for yourselves. Judge for yourselves. Verse 16 says, if, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. See, he's not saying, hey, everybody just gets to make up whatever we want about these things. He's not telling us that we just get to, each one of us, kind of figure out what makes sense in your own head and live it out. This isn't just everybody's interpretation is the same and you get to do whatever you want to. No. No. Paul knows this is going to be difficult. Paul knew what he was saying would be challenging, and it still is today. Our response tells us something about our hearts. Are we bristling like the Corinthians throughout this letter of like my rights, my freedoms, my name, mine, me and mine? Or are we saying, God, you are doing something much bigger than just putting people in a room together for an hour and a half on Sunday? The second thing I would highlight in terms of application for us, first thing being, like, how we read Scripture matters. The second thing is that our God-assigned gender distinctions matter. I'm sure there are those, I'm sure there are those with us over the course of the morning who've been wrestling with confusion or anxiety around these issues. And I want you to hear that. I'm glad you're here glad you're here we are glad you're here god has not turned his back on you in fact he's not freaked out he's not pushing you away he's not embarrassed of you he sent his son he sent his son for sinners like you and me And in a moment where the world around us is at war on the issue of gender and identity, where the church is made out to be an oppressor and sometimes is, I pray we'll be a people of wide open arms where everyone is welcome regardless of your struggle with gender and sexual temptations. May we be people Individual followers of Jesus living faithfully by God's word and loving those around us who are struggling because we've been loved and we too are struggling in so many ways. The third thing is our gathered worship matters. It's far more than just fashion. It's it's how we do this. So if, if you think that you can come and just be a solo act in here, it matters. It's part of the picture. The church and our worship together is an embodied testimony to a watching world. And where we blur the lines in any area where the scripture gives directives, we end up distorting the picture of the gospel to those around us. I pray we would be a church where men and women work together to cheer on one another to greater faith, obedience to Jesus, and mission. Where we work together to cultivate opportunities in our community groups, and in the, the, the places and spaces where God gather us to cheer on one another to greater faith and obedience to these things. Where men can, can work out their faith together Where our ladies can know that they are heard and taken seriously. And finally, how we read scripture matters. Our our gender distinctions assigned by God matter. Our gathered worship matters. But also what we get from this text is that our bodies matter. And not in some weird like TBN way in which we're talking about like Christian diets and, and all sorts of things, not, not in that or, or even some uh, Christian activewear with sequin crosses or whatever on it. like that's not what we're talking about. Our bodies matter because they're given to us for a purpose to image and picture the gospel to the world around us that we step into this picture. We see this in a wedding. Anytime we go to a wedding, we see a man and woman stepping into this picture that is much bigger than just them. It isn't just the the bride's big day. It's that she's embodying the bride. And he's embodying the bridegroom. And we come together on a gathered service uh, as embodying, as actually imaging the body, not just our bodies, but the body of Christ. So it matters. Paul says in chapter 6 of the same letter. He says, you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. I pray we'll be a people, a church in which we actively engage all our heart Soul, mind, and strength to be the hands and feet of Christ where God is magnified even in all the places God is ministering through his people. Will you pray with me?